Welcome to the No-Till Farmer Podcast, brought to you by Yetter Farm Equipment. I'm lead content editor, Brian O'Connor. On the podcast this week, we're speaking to Ron Oldie, who finished first place in Kansas for the National Corn Growers Association's annual yield contest in the no-till non-irrigated category in 2021. Oldie was one of several growers profiled in the No-Till Farmer special report, No-Till Corn, Pushing the Boundaries of Yield Potential available on our website. Here's my discussion with Ron Oldie. It's North Central. I'm about uh, 180 miles west of Kansas City, 60 miles north of Manhattan, Kansas. So, And in our operation, we've got, uh, well, we raise corn, beans, sorghum, wheat, alfalfa, livestock operation, uh, well, cow-calf, backgrounding and finishing and so we also have a uh, family regional seed business so yes that's kind of I've got uh, my two boys are are in the operation so that's kind of a quick brief background of who we are and what we do all right Um, and we are focused on the the 2021 yield results the 2022 uh, crop is obviously still in the ground so we, we don't know what the yield results will be there um, so, uh, in terms of the 2021 result, uh, what do you think was the key to your performance? Well, first off, the man the man upstairs was was very gracious to me. I mean, uh, I mean that, that's where it all starts. I mean, yes, you can be good and you can be lucky, but you know he's first and foremost. That's number one. Number two, that's a really tough question because the. For me, as you can tell, I've been at this a few years. There isn't just one thing. Um, for me, it's it's been a systems approach. There's just been a number of things that we've basically learned and tested and have done over the years that's, I guess, got us to this point. So there isn't really just one thing. It's a, It's really a systems approach. Okay. As a result of this or in past years, what have you learned about your crops or your land's potential? And uh, what's the biggest takeaway we can, we can apply more broadly to other fields? Well, to me, it all starts with soil sampling. You've got to know what you've got to work with. Yeah. Okay. So this, I can't tell you exactly, this is back in the 80s when they first came out with a GPS, you know, a little handheld receiver. Yep. But that's when I started going to back to these points, exact points, basically. And that's where it kind of started for me. Then I switched to zone, but now with our, more productive ground, we have went to grid. Yeah. And, and and it varies from farm to farm, but from one acre up to five, and then the marginal ground, I'm still doing some zone sampling, but uh, we're gonna probably all switch to grid sampling. So start starting then with that, and then whatever adjustments we need to make, you know, we'll adjust accordingly. Uh, with the grid, you know, we can now do variable rate, applications fertilizer i mean which has drastically paid for itself not only fertilization but also in liming because you yeah. get so darn many dollars wrapped up in that then of course no-till is a, is a big part for me and learning with cover crop i mean learning to use cover crops has been very very beneficial i have learned a few things with it uh, both good and bad and one of the bad things this year, 
force was we've been extremely dry this fall and winter mm. and spring. And so I had to terminate some of my cover crops early just to save moisture. So you got to take good with the bad. This, you know, this weather event is not going to change my mind. I'm still going to be planting them because uh, soil erosion and then especially now a big factor is getting to be weed control. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just getting to be a nightmare. I mean, that's just, that's just all, all there is to it. What species um, are you particularly concerned about there? Which weeds? Yeah. Like everybody else, you know, the pigweeds, the palmer amaranths, yeah, water hemp. It's yeah, it's really, really getting to be getting to be a struggle. And so, um, but again, no-till is is huge for us, both in our irrigated and dry land planting. You know, um, I, I I've switched to to the technology side with 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 my planter well sprayer and everything but especially planter i mean using you know the downforce and and uh, one thing i found intriguing this year i did put on a well it's it's made by precision plant it's called a vision uh wave vision where it monitors soil temperature and moisture and found that quite intriguing so i've got a lot lot to learn there um you know uh, irrigation scheduling um herbicides spraying timing and uh you know that's that's been a big factor probably if i gotta narrow it down there's probably two big things that's really changed things for me one of them is it's next level i don't know if you're familiar with that but that's then, that's now total acre right uh, that is now total acre. yeah yes. yes it is <laughs> okay uh, with them, they have really, really been very beneficial. And then also another thing has been a program called Verimax, where it's using satellite imagery to uh, help on fertilization recommendations, scouting. Those two things have probably really been the big, big helpful items for, for me anyway in, in our operation. And so, I mean, uh, that satellite imagery is just... <laughs> It's mind-boggling. It really is, but it works. This program works. How do you employ satellite imaging, particularly? Like, did they come up with recommendations, or are you looking at the data, interpreting yourself? No, they they come up with with uh, uh, recommendations and things like that. Now, we not only we first started with it in wheat, and now we we use it on both. Haven't found too much beneficial data on the soybean side or the sorghum side as of yet, but maybe as time goes on, that will improve. But anyway, it, it's paid huge dividends for us. Well, and it seems like soybeans would kind of, because they're because of the shape of their canopy, might be a little bit harder to kind of judge, but I don't really know. <laughs> well, that's, probably, that's probably true, but, you know, it is it is a legume crop, and, you know, and you're in a totally different ballpark there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um. How do you figure out what to try next? Do you run until you hit an acre or hit a hit a wall and then try and iterate out from there? Or do you follow your gut instinct? Like, how do you decide what's the thing that you're going to try? What's the next linchpin? I, I know you mentioned soil testing. I assume part of that plays into that as you look at your test results and kind of go, okay, well, we're low on this or we need more of this. Is there, but beyond that, how do you figure out what to try next? Well, you're always you're always looking at, at the technology side, you know, just what's 
what's coming, what's out there, and you just got to test it. Mm-hmm. And you got it on your own, you know, your own your own farm, your own operation, because it varies, and it varies from just from farm to farm, field to field. Yeah. So you you just you just got to get out there and be looking and, and test it. Got it. So, um, in the last three years, where have you, you mentioned precision. I, I assume this is probably going to be the answer here. Um, but what area did you most push the envelope on? Where, where are you trying to uh, progress or advance the most? I'm going to say probably the biggest return for me is I got to go back to the Veramax program. Got it. Um, there's a lot of products out there, both above ground and below ground products and uh, again it gets back to testing but with the Verimax program it breaks down instead of like your reproductive and growth stages this thing breaks it down into GDUs and that is that is one probably big change that we've made instead of going from like maybe let's say R where something needs to be applied like an R3 yeah five one thing I learned was you can take two different agronomists and they can give you two different maturities. It might be like an R3. One might say, well, it's R3, 5, or R3, 4. The GDUs narrows that down. And on what I've learned on some of these products that you use, that can make, the, make and break the difference. It's, it's all about timing. And you've got to be there uh, and that's what one thing that's really helped me anyway with that Veramex program is that it breaks it down into GDUs. So, I mean, you're getting down to basically almost the hour. Wow. So that, that's GDUs. I'm familiar with the, the broad, broader growth stages. It sounds like from context, GDUs are subunits within that. So like R1, do you know how many um, GDUs are generally in each growth stage? Yes, you do. <laughs> And then you pull that off with the, which I also use tissue samples. Got it. You know, to help, yeah, verify that. So, yes. And I um, think in the past I've learned that some of the products that I've used that, that didn't work was simply because I just missed the timing. Ah, okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, but believe me, I'm just really starting, I feel, to get a handle on it. There's still so much testing to be done. And it's coming. I know it is. <laughs> what did you do differently for the 2021 crop in terms of equipment setups? Is there anything that was outside the norm or unusual that you tried there? Well, probably about, I would say the only thing different was I did trade planters. And uh, I, I teched this one up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I did. Because I, I, I believe in technology, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And more of that to come, I assume, or do you think you've reached a plateau? Like I've got a good start on it and it's going to continue to grow. Yeah. Where it's all going to go. I'm not sure. I mean, you know, you're talking about robotics and AI. I'm sure that that's coming. It's not going to be a fit for everybody, but uh, it's coming. Well, and and I've seen people that are enthusiastic about it just for the, in terms of, uh, the cost, uh, labor cost savings basically is yes, the, they, uh, especially I, nowadays there's a shortage for agricultural workers so yeah then you got to pay for the darn stuff yeah yes <laughs> convenience comes with a price well and is that 
like, is that a key component to the financial planning going ahead? Like, you know, we've, we've had systems before where, and I'm thinking here of conventional tillage where people were, you know, they ended up in this kind of cycle of debt uh, as a result of it. Do you, do you foresee stuff like that happening or how do we, you know, guarantee the, that you have access to the best technology, but also that you don't wind up, you know, losing the farm behind it? Well, no, that's, that's a good question. Um, and it's going to vary from farm to farm. Mm-hmm. It's going to vary on your locale. You know, what, what I can see, like on some of this AI could work probably very well, like in Illinois, is probably not going to work so well for me. Yeah. You know, it's just a difference in, you know, the locations and, and things like that. But uh, if you need it, to, you know, to find a way to make it work, because I think there's, there's no doubt it, it's coming. What have you tried that was an absolute failure? We, when we host a number of conferences, I attend a lot of conferences. A lot of guys talk about how this, you know, this is the greatest, no-till is the greatest system in the world. And we very rarely hear about people who try something that doesn't work. Do you have a story like that? Can you, can you explain any time where you tried something that was just miserable? Okay. Are, are you including, like, equipment? Yeah, anything. <laughs> well... Yes, yes, I do, and it it happened. It happened this, this spring. Now I want to make clear I'm not putting down a product here, but I guess I'm sharing an experience that I had that I don't want anybody else to go through. But okay. I did. Um, yes, I did trade planters. I had uh, a Case IH twenty one forty. That's a it's a thirty two row fifteen inch. Mm-hmm. And I used, uh, I was planting basically everything except my flood ground in 15 inch. Yeah. My flood ground's in 30s, but I planted all my corn and milo and uh, beans, everything 15. I traded it and I got a, uh, a new planter and uh, it's a Harvest International, same way, 32 row, 15 inch. And I am a big believer in in uh, two by two by two fertilization and then also in furrow. Yeah. And I was going to put on these uh, no to their uh, Martin, they're a double disc for my two by two. Yeah. And of course, when you talk to both companies, they say yes, they'll fit. Well, <laughs> when they fold it up. They they wouldn't it wouldn't fold up. Yeah. So the next option was to try in a two by two arena was, was uh, another system that precision plant has. Um, these knives fit between, between the uh, opening uh, gauge wheels and there just wasn't enough clearance for trash. We had back in December 15th of 21, we had a terrific hit, uh, windstorm. And uh, it blew a lot of, well, where the combines and stuff went, I mean, it just sheared all the stocks and off at the crown roots and then piled it into the standing stubble. That was just a complete nightmare and something that I had never experienced or seen before. Yeah. So we just had numerous changes. We had to make that planter to make it work. And a lot of it, too, was we had to go to 30-inch just to handle the trash. 
don't know how he's going to scatter it. But, uh, absolutely was not going to burn it. I know some did. So instead of planting a 15 inch, we went quite a bit to 30s. And yeah. so. Uh, and I'm that was the, the 2022 growing season, like the spring that happened? Spring, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so I really raised havoc with our herbicide program. Because mm-hmm. uh, on quite a few acres, we did not put any pre-plant down. Mm. Simply because well, there's no way that herbicide was going to you know, get is all going to be tied up in the residue and spots. And so a lot of that we, we put on post planting. And so uh, it just threw a schedule out of a lot of things. And it was kind of a nightmare there for a while. So I hope nobody has to go through that. <laughs> so do, I guess double check to make sure, like run a test, get a demonstration unit, something, make sure that people, you know, that you're, if you're working with two companies, that the equipment really does perform as, as advertised, I guess, is the, the yeah. lesson there. Yes. And it was a mad scramble this spring because, you know, with uh, the COVID situation, how it's impacted supply of parks and things like that, I was scrambling to get that, get that done. So anyway. Uh, how many years has your ground been in no-till and uh, how did you get started and where did you learn about no-till and um, what what generalizations or true statements about no-till do you feel that you've learned over the years? Well, to give you an exact year when I started, I, I can't tell you. Um, I've got a, where we first started and there'll be people out there that'll know, but uh, when Case IH came out with their Cyclo planner, mm. the 800 series. I remember the dealer brought one out for us to try, and we planted some soybeans after wheat harvest. That was our first experience with no till. So it was back in that time frame. It had to be in the 80s. Yeah. And so then, just as years went by, we've just have pretty well completely switched over. And so, um, was it cost savings? Like what led from kind of the, to the expansion to that? Uh, I wouldn't say at first it wasn't so much cost savings as it was time, mm. you know, and then repairs on equipment. Um, those are probably the two big things at, you know, at the time and then granted to savings and moisture. But, uh, you know, as times went on, when well, now you can definitely see, you know, the advantage, especially in no-till when you decide to do a f- farm, you know, after that third year, you really kind of really start to see some of the benefits. So, yeah. but you've got to, you've got to be patient. You've got to be committed because it's so easy to drop that pin and that implement and <laughs> go tear some ground up. It's so easy to do. It is until you have to fill up the tank, I guess. Nowadays, we had a, a recent... Yeah. Blog post by uh, our editor. He says, uh, you know, you can save basically a Ford Mustang's worth in fuel costs if you, like, he compared it. He used about fourteen hundred or sixteen hundred acres. He said between no-till and till, you can, uh, uh, you'll spend thirty thousand more tilling your ground than you do no-till. So, yeah, there's, there's no doubt. That's just in fuel, and then, you know, the cost of repairs. Oh, geez, it's, I mean, it's, it's getting out of hand. That's, yeah. you know, whether you're running a disc or a field cultivator, you know, that all has to be repaired. Now, one of the things I noticed about um, uh, your 
particular particular entry in NCGA, which was kind of amazing, um, is that your name and the name of the hybrid, there's both uh, Oli in there. Yes. So, so you guys use your own proprietary hybrid that you developed? Like, can you explain yeah, the process? Yeah. They pretty well run the seed business. Yeah. That's, that's their baby. So... And, and how, what kind of investment is there in, in going into developing your own hybrid? I mean, I, I see a lot of very familiar agricultural names to call Pioneer, you know, on the other ones. I, but it just was amazing to see that out there. How did you guys get into that as a sideline in the first place? Well, my dad started it. He started it back in 1946. Oh, wow. And so I've been in the business a lot of years. Um, then there was my, uh, well, there was my dad my brother, Rodney, and myself, we, uh, <clears throat> we, we started a business and dad basically just started out selling oats and wheats and wheat back in the days. I can still remember, <laughs> remember that pretty, pretty vividly. Um, then in the late, really late 70s, about 1978, 79, that's when, uh, well, we had an individual well, it was probably back about 1975, where we were planting a lot, a lot of wheat and milo. That's what the kind of the crops were back in those days. And we had such an issue with the chinch bug in the grain sorghum. Mm. And we had one individual that approached us, asked us about they could get some soybean seed that he wanted to plant after wheat harvest. And so, yes, we went to uh university of missouri and got some got some soybean seed and he planted it and uh it made eight bushel it was a very dry year <laughs> but beans back then were eight eight dollars yeah and this 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 operator he was tickled to death and so he wanted to try more so that's really kind of how we got started on the bean side yeah and so then uh, that, that really grew. And then uh, Rodney, my brother at the time, was basically running the seed business. So then we decided to start looking into our own private lines. And so that's how, how we got started, really. And then, you know, bought a few other entities to uh, get us to where we kind of are today. We're just, you know, a, a regional seed company. Yeah. We're not national or anything like that. Well, do you, do you start like, can you explain a little bit the process? I don't want to get you to disclose any trade secrets or like that, but do you start with an heirloom variety and then work up to a hybrid in terms of breeding? Like, is that how the, the process works or? Well, for us anyway, and this goes back into the, the early eighties with some of the entities that we acquired came along with, with their, you know, breeding programs and breeders. And things like so that's how we got that's how we got in where we are where we are today so yes there are there are providers we'll get back to my discussion with notilla ron oldie in a moment first i want to thank our sponsor yetter farm equipment yetter farm equipment is your answer for success in the face of ever-changing productive agriculture challenges Yetter offers a full lineup of planter attachments designed to perform in varying planting conditions. Yetter products maximize your inputs, save you time, and deliver return on your investment. Visit them at yetterco.com. 
And now back to my conversation with Ron Olding. What are you hoping to try out in 2023 and 2024? And um, is there a theory or a hypothesis that informs those decisions of where you go next? Oh, definitely. Yeah, I mean, that is that is changing almost by the day. Yeah. You know, yeah, the new, new traits, new technologies, new methods. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, that, that is almost a changing by the day. It, it really is. It's just changing so fast. Then you've got to decipher which ones fit you, which ones work, you know, because not everything works. Yeah. You're working with a set time frame. Technology is innovating all the time. Like, do you have a, a time frame in mind for when you make your final decision for 2023, 24? Well, sure. A lot of it really, though, uh, that part probably hasn't changed that much because it all comes down to data and your data comes after harvest or during harvest. So you're in that October, November time frame when, when a lot of those crucial decisions are made. Um, you mentioned uh, planting seeds uh, or uh, we talked about your seed. We talked about um, your tissue sampling. Um, mm-hmm. How do you do uh, biological? What do you do in terms of biologicals, Y drops, anything like that? I mean, you know, a lot of people have kind of a love hate with Y drops. They love them, they really love them, or they hate them and they really hate them. Um, do you guys use top dress, side dress, anything like that? Uh, this year we won't be doing any any Y drops. Did last year. Mm-hmm. I'm uh, still oh, I'm past the experimental stage, but I see many benefits to it. But here in central Kansas, sometimes we don't always get that timely rain that's kind of needed for that system. Yeah. I, I still think it is the right way to go. I really do. But it's got to fit into your operation. Right. You know, it, it takes it takes time. I mean, I, I like I like what I see, especially if you've got some deficiencies out there. Um, but primarily, most of our for a lot of our fertilization uh, is run through the pivot. Mm. And, you know, I still, I still am a believer in that spoon feeding theory. Yeah. Yes. Well, I shouldn't say theory. It used to be, but <laughs> it's reality today. Well, and if you got the, you know, if you got a good enough data, a good enough breed, you know, why not go to that approach, right? It, you know where you're going with all the, the stuff that you're inputting in the field. So. Yes. Yes. It, it definitely, it definitely pays if the weather cooperates yeah <laughs> you know um if you don't get that that rain you know to bring it in or you know into the plant in that three to five day time cycle then you're probably not going to get the full bit if, if it gets out there 10 days two weeks yeah you know that's the gamble with production egg um so are you using biologicals any biological products and if so uh, how much and, and what are you using well, I am primarily more on the bean side than I am the corn. Um, again, this goes back to my infertile in my two by two by two. You know, I, I put a lot of it, a lot of it up front. And so, as um, far as one product, no, I don't use any. I'm, I'm like uh, probably got like four different products that I'm using this year. Mm-hmm. 
And so, you know, you just got to constantly, constantly test, you know, because there's, there's products that work and then there's some that, that don't. And, well, and, and sometimes that's the same product in two different years is what I've heard. <laughs> so I, I don't know. I can't, I can't right. comment. It's, it's possible. There's, there's no doubt a lot of same ingredients, but maybe how it's re, you know, refined or, can maybe make the difference because there's only so much of it out there. Yeah. Yes. Um, what micro, do you apply any micronutrients? I've heard boron is great for corn, um, but I don't know. Like uh, that was when I talked to Dave Hula. Well, briefly, I listened in on a conversation Dave Hula was having with some other growers. One of his things that he kept saying was he got to have boron, you know, boron at every stage. Um, but are there any other micronutrients that you're looking at? I mean, sulfur's also come up. Very much so. Um, we're, uh, sulfur deficiency has been, been an issue the last oh, four or five years. And yes, I'm addressing that with, you know, with the planter and then also through the pivots. Mm -hmm. um, zinc is another. Yes, boron. Boron uh, is another one. For me, this year so far in the tissue samples, I'm short on boron and zinc, mm. and I uh, I addressed that I thought anyway this spring. But in my uh, two by two, I was putting a quart down, and then uh, well, in fact, we're going to start this week on some posts. I'm going to have to put another quart on, and I'm kind of surprised uh, with the amounts that I am putting on that I'm. Still showing up short in deficiency in, in the boron. So I've got to kind of figure out why. Is my plant not utilizing it or or just what? But uh, it's still showing up short in boron and zinc. Hmm. So I gotta work on that. Yeah. Um, what do you use for I guess uh, what do you use for covers? You briefly mentioned them. Do you do you employ covers heavily? What do you use? Okay, right, yes. Um Basically, what we've kind of what we've kind of gotten to in our situation is uh, triticale. Mm. Um, I mean, we yeah, we've used radishes and turnips, and they're great for on the livestock side. We'll use them for that, but basically, for strictly the the row crop, uh, we use a triticale. Number one, it's cost effective. You can start throwing in some of these other mixes. And it gets quite expensive. Yeah. And then the cost of running this equipment, seeding it, really adds up. And so we went back, we kind of dropped back to just triticale for two reasons. Number one is uh, soil erosion. And then number two is cover, and which really helps on weed control because. Um, we've had to spray way too much this year. And the dollars that we're putting out there spraying, we can easily make up with, with the cover crop and getting a good cover on it and then terminating it. Only, you know, this year I had to terminate it early because of the moisture situation. What do you use for herbicide for termination or, or do you? Some guys do roller crimper. No. Um, Roundup. Oh, okay. Yeah, use Roundup. Mm -hmm. Yes. 
And so also, uh, like last year, we had uh, a good cover crop and we terminated it. And then we just came back later on with just a post spray that did very well. Mm -hmm. So that's, if I could have done that this year, I'd have been many dollars ahead. <laughs> that's my plan for next year. So, and we're going to be planting more and more of it all, all the time. But it takes dollars, you know, to put that in the ground too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Equipment costs, you know. I mean, so when do you apply fertilizer? Do you do you do split end? Apply fertilizer on the yeah on your cash crops, I guess. Do you do do you do some in the spring? As uh, I know, one of the common split ends is they'll do, um, you know, they do it as a, a a starter and then they jump back in and they'll do it over the top later. Okay. Uh, I guess maybe I'll start start off with with wheat. Well, we'll put down basically a mess product, a dry starter, with the seed, and then plus we'll add about another twenty pounds of N. That goes on in the fall, and then uh, at green up time, again, this is where we use that Veramax program. As I imagined, there in Kansas, wheat's probably more of your uh, kind of your main revenue generator there. But um, no, no, no. It used it used to be, but no, there's less less wheat planted here in the state of Kansas. What used to be, oh. um, yeah, yeah, because of, uh, well, you know, the price of wheat even right now isn't worth a darn. Yeah, well, they've knocked about what four bucks off of wheat already. So that's even with is oh that's since the announcement that they're going to bring the Ukraine grain to market or yeah. okay knocked the crap out of it. I tell you so. <laughs> Anyway, um, so, okay, Brian, what do you want me to, to talk about? I mean, uh, let's do the corn thing. Yeah. Okay. Um, just cause the, the focus is really the NCGA contest and, and yes, and that's, that's too. so, okay. Well, again, Brian, it, it, it's still for me anyway, it's come down to this Veramax program on nitrogen needs. Yeah. You know, the, the, uh, Imagery will tell will tell me sooner than what the the human eye will. It yeah. shows stress way before the human eye catches it, and so that's one advantage of getting getting ahead of it. But in my program, what I'm doing is uh, like on my irrigated, I put down like 140 pounds of N. It's primarily anhydrous, and I do that in the fall. Mm -hmm. So that's my base. Got it. Okay. Then, then come. Uh, well, again, according to soil samples, if I need some uh, dry material, you know, either some phosph, potash, sulfur, you know, whatever is needed, then you know that that is applied. Um, then with the planter, okay. Then I'm using uh, material in, in my infurl, and then also in my two by two by two. Yeah. So, uh, I'll put, uh, oh, again, according to what the recommendations are, but maybe seven to 10 gallon of 32, maybe five gallon of 1034 and some boron, sulfur, zinc. Yeah. In, in the two, in the two by two by two. So that's kind of my base. 
yeah. then Baramax pro, pro program comes in to the growing season on GDUs when to be applying, you know, the next, the next trips through basically the pivot. And so this year I'm going to be making three trips, you know, at, uh, at pre-tassel and then uh, post-tassel and then again at brown, sit, brown silk. Got it. My first trip I'm using um, about 10, 10 gallon of 32 and three gallon of sulfur. Mm-hmm. I just completed my second trip. Uh, now there I've thrown in, uh, well, 10 gallon of 32. I put in seven gallon of 012, which is potash product. Then mm-hmm. another three gallon of sulfur. And I will make this additional trip at brown silk. That's uh, really is in, enhanced the kernel size, kernel weight, and uh, test weights have really responded to that program so yes um now to my recollection you're irrigated correct for the the high yield portion at least well yes but uh my my winning entry last year was dry land oh really i I did not enter the irrigated last year i should have turned out but i didn't (laughs) yeah so and that kind of leads me to my next question. Like how many acres do you have under the high yield program versus, you, you know, I, I think there's this, and the reason we're asking is there's this perception out there that somebody takes 10 acres aside and they just, you know, pour everything onto that 10 acres that they know how to do. Do you apply the same thing across all your fields? You know, I, I imagine with a rotation like yours, you can't do that consistently for every single field, but um, how many acres do you have total under your high yield management? Well, um, basically, on, on uh, this, this program, yes, I try and use them on all my acres. Hmm. Now, yes, like you were referring to, yes, there, there are guys that will do like maybe 10 acres and just go all out. No, I, I, I do it maybe just on a particular field on a small acreage simply because I can't manage that much time into it. So I've tried to develop this program to get over as many acres as I possibly can, because that has created my best return. So I am not in this to get the national high yield. I'm I'm trying to get the best yield for my operation, what I can fit in. So, but these guys had developed this form, you know, to help me get to where, where we have. And so, I mean, they've been, very helpful. I mean, I've tried working with universities over the years, and um, they're they're specialists. They are specialists, you know, just like like Phil Needham was in the wheat. Yeah, you know, you know. So these guys, yeah, and I just take what I feel is is practical that I can work into my operation and and use it. You know. All so, right. I got one more, uh, well, one or two more questions. I guess sure. um, right before you got your high yield corn, what was the crop that was in that same uh, area? In the rest of the field? Yeah. Well, no, no, no. right. As part of your rotation, was beans. it soybeans beforehand or? Yes. Okay. This is beans. Okay. Yep. Uh, and then how do you measure costs, profits, and return on investment? How do I measure? Yeah. At the end of the year, 
when you get all the bills and you add them up <laughs> and then what your marketing program was, that's, that's the bottom line. It's got it. just plain and simple as that. And so, well, do you, do you look at, I mean, a lot of guys say they're switching to, to no-till because of soil health. Like, do you consider that to be a component of your return on investment as well? Oh, exactly. Um, oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Not, yeah. Soil health. And I think another thing that's really starting to come into play here really about the last year or two mm-hmm. is weed control. Ah, yeah, yeah. You, you'd mentioned that before, yeah. Yes. I mean, it's uh, it's getting to be a special, I mean, a a real problem out here. Um, yeah, you mentioned the pigweeds, water hemp. Yes. Hemp. Yeah. Yes. I mean, uh, I'm, 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 I'm talking a serious economic problem out here. You're yeah. putting people out there that aren't getting the job done and, you know, spending too damn many dollars out there and time. And, yeah. Weed control. So it, it, it's, it's sizable what that dollar amount will be. Yeah. It is. And that'll lead into that eats into your bottom line and, and maybe oh mercy yeah so potentially your your uh, uh, I hate to say it but quality of life eventually down the road maybe but yeah it's very possible so and then I guess in that case is there anything like what I, I know I saw a couple articles recently where they're developing mathematical models of genetic systems to determine when weeds develop resistant is that something that like it all piques your interest at all. I mean, um, you know, there's a couple of things where they're looking at how the how the, the the genetics of the various weeds behave so that they can predict. Okay, this is going to be resistant at this point, and maybe change it up. Do you think that's a, a possible solution, or I mean, you know, do we go back to tillage? What ultimate? How do we ultimately deal with this? Oh golly, I I would hate to think that we'd go back to tillage. But yes, this does very much interest me. Um, because I'm trying to, you know, look at ways that we can get by without having to spray. Yeah. I'm getting tired of spraying. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I just think whether or not we ever get there, I don't know. But maybe there's certain alternatives. I mean, I know they're they're looking like it maybe fire or electrical shock. I don't the fire thing. I, but maybe possibly something yeah. like electric or something. Let's get away from spraying, guys. I mean, yeah, you know. Whether or not that can ever happen, I, I don't know. But we need to be heading in a different direction that we are. And yeah, that's what I was going to say about the cover crops and no-till. We, we're in that direction. Right. We, yeah, I've heard lasers are one, one alternative people are considering. And, and we have a, a column in, at looking at two companies, I think, in Germany and Switzerland, that are looking at um, electric shock, like you mentioned. Uh, so... But yeah, it seems like if we can get those lasers going with, in combination with the AI, that might be the, the ideal. But it, it, It's worth looking into. You know, the electrical thing, bad thing about it, it's going to take an awful long extension cord. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the Swiss are looking at using a generator to get that kind of voltage thing. So that, yeah. might be, that might be one. I, I, think, I think it's possible. I mean, you know, I know that they... I believe in Australia they came up with the, the weed seed terminator. Terminator. Yeah. They mount that attachment on the combine. You know, that's every little bit helps. That's it for this week's episode. 
We'd like to again thank our sponsor, Yetter Farm Equipment, for helping to make this no-till podcast series possible. If you like today's discussion, the full take on Ron Oldie's approach to high-yielding no-till corn is available on our website as part of the No-Till Corn, Pushing the Boundaries of Yield Potential special report. It's all about no-tillers who participate in and win the National Corn Growers Association Annual Yield Contest. Just visit our store tab for a description and to consider purchase. A link can also be found in this episode's webpage. More podcasts about no-till farming are available over at notillfarmer.com slash podcasts. A transcript of this episode will be available there shortly. Subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any feedback on today's episode, please feel free to email me at b-o-c-o-n-n-o-r at lessonermedia.com or call me at 262-777-2413. You can also keep up on the latest no-till farming news by registering online for our No-Till Insider daily and weekly email updates and Dryland No-Tiller e-newsletter. And be sure to follow us on Facebook or Twitter. For our entire staff here at No-Till Farmer, I'm lead content editor Brian O'Connor. Thanks for listening. Keep it no-till.